The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, Episode 17. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we got to do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. You say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous. But this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Berizzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Today, we are discussing the 17th episode of the first season of Stargate SG-1 Enigma. And stick around after our discussion, and we'll have some feedback from our fans. The team visits the planet Tolan to discover that it is undergoing cataclysmic volcanic activity. They discover a group of dying people with impeccable fashion sense, and bring them back through the Stargate before they are suffocated by the volcanic ash. The Tolans, upon waking, are extremely disdainful of the primitive humans of Earth. Carter gets a new crush, a Tolan man named Nerim, who is almost as bland as Vedic Burial. The team discover that the gate has been destroyed by the volcano. We are introduced to Colonel Claiborne, who, under the authority of the President, take the Tolans and their advanced technology for use in the U.S. weapons program. The SG-1 team conspires to let the Tolan escape to the planet of the Nox. The Tolans are able to escape due to some wonderful acting on SG-1's part. What are your thoughts on this episode, Lisa? <laughs> uh, you know, I have to say, Carter's first boyfriend. We're going to go through many, many, many little crushes there. And so I, I like that. I love seeing the knocks. It's just, I don't know, it's a good one. We're, all, we're into the good stuff. Yeah, it was a good world building episode. Mm-hmm. What about you, Victor? Yeah, I... I remember liking this episode maybe a little bit more than I did. Um, now it's a little slow paced, but it does introduce uh, probably the best bromance on the show. And that is, of course, the the relationship between uh, Colonel Jack O'Neill and Colonel Mayborn, who uh, is as unequivocally uh, the villain or, uh, you know, in this episode. But uh, later in the run of the series will evolve to become uh, so much more. And um, you see a little hint of it. At the end, uh, when when Colonel Mayborn realizes he's been betrayed by SG-1, he gives Jack a little look and that just, uh, you know, presages the whole uh, their whole burgeoning, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it. It's 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 a love hate (laughs) thing, I think. So mostly hate. I love that. I'd forgotten that Mayborn was in this episode, that he was introduced so early. In the yeah, what, one of my favorite <laughs> characters and one of my favorite character arcs, uh, and then they use him judiciously, too. Um, it's always a treat to see, to see him show up. Uh, uh, Tom McBeath there. I like how villainy he was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they got rid of the other guy so quickly. I wonder if maybe it was just the character wasn't working out or the actor really didn't want to stick on. I looked, I looked that up and I couldn't find anything about that. So I wonder what decision went into switching him out. Yeah. So just forgettable, right? Yeah. That's name. So Colonel Kennedy, right? The one who wanted to uh, ship Teal, Teal Koff in episode two, I think, um, they go through a series of, you know, 
extreme colonels who, who uh, you know, General <laughs> Hammond has to stand up to and and, uh, you know, threaten to call the president over. Um, only in, in this episode that that ten, that actually backfires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Mayborn just grows into this completely awesome character. Nice. We, I, I think I counted 11 episodes that he is featured in. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't realize it was that many, but that, I didn't that is either. excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And he could show up in others, but those are just the ones that they said he was primarily big role in. So that's cool. This episode is also um, something I can add to my essay I want to write someday about the prevalence of orange cats in science fiction. <laughs> oh. Because you got. I didn't Jones, even. Yeah. You got Jones and Aliens. You have Spot in Star Trek. Uh, there's another one. There's Garfield? at least two. <laughs> I'll take that as a science fiction movie. Yeah, Tale of Two <laughs> Kitties, definitely. Yes. Uh, you've got this, and then there's at least one more that I'm blanking on, but it seems like whenever there's a cat in a science fiction movie, it's always an orange cat, other than The Matrix. How many of them truly, though, have a sci-fi name? That's true. That's true, and like Schrodinger's cat, like wasn't you know the mainstay in, in like you know science fiction culture. I don't think, or at least TV science fiction culture, that it was um, that it is now. Back in 1997, when they when they rolled that out, so that was actually quite clever. And I I do love how Major Carter expects uh, you know Nareem to get the joke, you know, even though he has no familiar <laughs> with. Like he's like it's Schrody, the cat's name is Schrody, right? Schrodinger's cat, and he's like, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> And then he says, oh, yeah, that was that was what debunked elementary science or something. Yeah. His uh, like, uh, what does he call it? Uh, oh, I don't know. Conceptions of. Yeah. Equilibrium. Physics. Yeah. Yeah. Science. <laughs> and and I mean, if, if that wasn't enough, uh, we get a very, very special guest star here. Tobin uh, Bell plays Omak. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've not seen the Saw movies, but I understand he's the main uh, villain. He's Mr. Jigsaw or something and all of those who. Sets up the elaborate, uh, you know, traps and stuff for people. So not not my cup OT, but uh, he's he's definitely a very good actor at playing. Uh, uh, I think they call him obstinate, but really he's he's just kind of a jerk. Yeah, he really is. I'd like to see how he gets along with the Knox um, on their planet because they're so hippy dippy and he's just not a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm scrolling through his IMBD and oh, yeah. I had no idea he did so many of these horror kind of movies. You see that with a lot of these like Vancouver, like, um, you know, Stargate and other uh, other, you know, actors who do this and they'll do this. They'll do Supernatural. They'll do Psych. And then um, I guess, you know, Vancouver must have a very big low budget direct to video horror scene or something. And um, <laughs> because that's kind of like the, you know, people wind up in this like loop of just doing this over and over and over again. So it pays the bills. Right. I would. I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> do that they end up on Hallmark. So. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Nareem, I forgot his Garwin Sanford. He's in a bunch of Hallmark shows. So. I was about to say he looks really familiar and I went through his IMDb and I could not find anything that I'd actually seen that he was in. I think he just has that kind of guest star well, looking face. Yeah. <laughs> He's also in Stargate Atlantis. Which is really to? interesting if you think about it, that that he's in what Target SG one at least three times, and then and you refer to him several times other than that, 
And then the same Eric actor shows up as someone else in three episodes of Atlantis. Who does he play in, in Stargate Atlantis? Dr. Weir's boyfriend, husband. Oh, yeah. Simon. He's even more. He's even more boring in that. He's like the boring Christopher Plummer. It's like. That's. That's a good description of him. He looks familiar. I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah. He also kind of looks like uh, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's got that same kind of face. Oh, that's funny. I do. I do like his, uh, you know, day the earth stood still jumpsuit. You know, that I guess all the Tolans wear and stuff. It, like he's going to jump out and say, like, Latu Barada Nikto or something and make Gort go back into the <laughs> saucer or something. It was, it was very, like, you know, 1950s sci fi chic there. You didn't like that. <laughs> I also like how they're the supposedly very, very advanced aliens, or not aliens, but very, very advanced uh, people from another planet. And then the first time you see them clearly, they're all wearing like these weird, they look like, like spray painted silver rugby hats. And then they clearly just have like, like safety goggles that you'd pick up from like Home Depot on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Props department was running a little light that day. As I mean, well as they, the... <laughs> they did a really good job with the landscape when they come through the Stargate. Like I really liked that visual. Yeah, for digital matte or digital compositing of the uh, you know the background and then the actual set, it was actually really good you know it's it's not up to you know today the mandalorian standards where everything is you know filmed on that that screen and stuff um but uh as a as an early version of that i think it did work very well mm. and it did i don't know how many minutes we're in but uh it did remind me of uh the guardian of forever from star trek oh i have a drink so let me uh oh yeah yeah there it is yeah <laughs> And you mentioned you mentioned Vedic Brile and uh Oh that's yeah, true. He, <laughs> and just before we recorded this, um we were watching the uh the season six episode where his mirror universe double comes over and uh, is is marginally less boring than Vedic Brile, but um but yeah. Uh still still a comatose performance, I would say. Yeah. Well, it it's Carter's first love interest. You gotta you gotta build up slowly, right? She's she's gonna get some more interesting one. We'll get there. I like that replicator guy. Seven or whatever his name was, or five? Five fifth. Fifth, fifth yeah. <laughs> I like at the end when she's uh saying goodbye to him and he hands her his little emotion box. <laughs> and it, it just looks like it looks like a McDonald's toy. Like a McDonald's it does. like what's the game on Simon? Yeah. Press yes. the red triangle. Yeah. And, and, how, and, and how, how weird is would that be right it's incredibly creepy it's like i i won't show you how much i love you i won't earn your trust or your affection rather feel like my, my creepy emotions and then you'll know how i think about you and any sane person would be like no thanks you i'm out of here of course may, maybe you know what maybe sg1 has like a like a bucket list thing or one of those bingos, you know, you do or check the box off, like kiss an alien. I mean, I think she's the, well, I guess Teal hasn't yet, but you know, Jack and Daniel, they got it. So now she gets to check that box. So maybe that's all it was, right? Like we we do get, we do get that, (laughs) that whole like science fiction, like original series, Star Trek, like what is kiss, you know, kind of moments. Like we have a custom that expresses more than words. It's like, why, yes, on our planet, we also express affection in such a manner, you know. 
Yeah, yeah it was a little cringy. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. We also have a uh, during the uh, debriefing, we have Daniel Jackson talking about how if we if it hadn't been for the Dark Ages, then humanity would be colonizing the stars right now, which is just such a worn out and inaccurate view of the Middle Ages. Because all of the cultures that didn't have the Middle Ages have been to the moon and back uh, so many times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, or maybe they have, for all we know. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's been uh, thoroughly debunked so we can put a big uh, myth busted over that one. Right. <laughs> but if, just in case, uh, there is a, a very nice video from SQPN's own Jimmy Aiken on the Catholic Answers site that you can watch uh, related to that. Yep, we'll link it in the show notes. I'm excited to see if there's any sort of repercussions for uh, Daniel just flagrantly ignoring any sort of orders. And no. Then, no, there's not. Well, He's a civilian. Not this time, yeah. And there's no laws against uh, helping aliens escape. Otherwise, a kid from E.T. and Mac and me and all of them would be behind bars. They're all in the prison from uh, Gardens of the Galaxy, right? <laughs> That's where they wind up. <laughs> Oh, interesting moral dilemma on this one. So who brought up, you can't do that to them, they have rights? Did, did it was those Daniel. Words? Daniel, right? And, he cares and about that kind of thing. Didn't we try this once before? Someone brought up that the symbiote might have, the Gould might have rights? I think so, on the, yeah. On like enemy within, like way back. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember. I, I went to go back and... Listen, because I know we talked about it. And I thought, oh, there that comes up again, where they said, no, no, of course the ghoul doesn't have rights, the symbiote. And now here they are arguing that these other aliens have civil rights. Like, I guess his argument is that they're actually humans, and so it falls under the whole umbrella of human rights. But he obviously hasn't studied world history very much because if a government needs something from somebody they're not really going to pay attention to that (laughs) and they they kind of leave that open too like like daniel does say all humans you know evolved on earth but the nox aren't human so i never was clear in my own mind if the tolans were 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 human or not but maybe after this so we can say that they are or Um, the the light the tupelo were they human yeah, they were they were uh, Minoans, right, or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and that was a very good speech by um, Jared Plunkett as Tuplo there, the the leaders of the Minoans, which they set that up really well. Where um, you know he gives this very eloquent speech, welcoming him, and he'd be honored to have them in uh, in his planet. And then um, uh, Omak says, you know, you're even more primitive than these than these Earth people, and we we want nothing to do with you. But, and yet he didn't get offended. That's true. Yeah, I guess he's, he's used to it. Thin. Another actor who's all over um, Hallmark, by the way. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Yeah, he also played uh, Fishman in um, the Fishman episode, which I'm blanking on. Fire and Water. Oh, yeah. that we just oh, saw. that was him? Yep, that was him. Nice. Oh, I forgot already. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was much more eloquent here than in that episode. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Okay, so Walter is credited in this episode. Did we see Walter? Oh yeah, he's he's like the he's like computer genius in this in this episode. Um, 
he's the one who cleaned up all the footage that was completely oh, irrecoverable right. and, and somehow <laughs> recovered it to the point where you can like see in high definition, like the effect of the toll and sh- uh, phase shift devices going through the walls. And um, really cool to see the toll and phase shift devices uh, uh, <laughs> listed here. There's whole YouTube videos that you can watch about those. But um, again, the they, yeah, he did. He hit the like zoom in on, on, on quadrant J seven now enhance. Yeah. I do find it funny that they're really incredulous that the uh, Tolans have this kind of technology when <laughs> you're using a Stargate. Like, is it really that inconceivable that someone else might have something like that? They can like we're going to be the most advanced humans out there. Yeah. Like they just seem they're acting like oh this is impossible. It's like it's clearly not. You've got a bigger version of it. <laughs> although, although they do. Um poke fun at this uh in either i think it's the wormhole extreme episode where they poke fun of this where where the major carter character is talking to the show's creator and is saying but like i don't understand what like why does she just fall through the floor which which is a question that's come up every time you watch you know the episode of uh next generation where where geordie's out of out of phase and stuff um but yeah <laughs> i guess they're the tolans at least to figure out how to make the bottoms of their shoes not phase shift or or there are actually like hour long YouTube videos where people go over the reasons that the gravity plating in the hole is why they don't fall through the floor on uh, that episode. Okay. So okay. Those, those, those Romulans um, are pretty crafty. Did they clear that up? <laughs> the head cannon, yeah. I do, um, I do also like that we get the very typical sci-fi trope of let's bend something to show you how uh, space warping works. They didn't do it with the pencil and the paper like they usually do, but it was pretty close. Yeah. No, this, this is, I think, probably my favorite episode or favorite moment of the entire episode where um, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, relativity. You know, uh, Omak bends the stick and says these points seem far apart until you he touches them together. And Danny's like, oh, yeah, relatively relativity. And um, <laughs> Tobin Bell, he like does an Eddie Murphy take towards the camera. I've watched it like three times and he's actually looking a little bit like off to the side of the camera lens but it's almost like he looks right in the camera and then goes you wouldn't understand you know but yeah <laughs> no you wouldn't understand a lantern on it yeah <laughs> yeah i like how general hammond kind of finesses that whole situation where he's supporting uh jack and daniel and everyone in their insurrection like minor insurrection against the president um but he does it in a way that he's not really responsible Although I still feel like there's going to be some sort of recourse based on his leadership, but you know, yeah, he's, he's, he really doesn't have to no. worry about that. They just send him a few more like, like mean colonels, I guess that he has to like, say, you know, that that wasn't an invitation. It was an order colonel, you know, that sort of thing too. But we don't actually get to see this president that Daniel Jackson voted for. I think it's, it's one of the next presidents who becomes a character on the show, but um, they refer to this president, whoever it is, but I don't think we actually see this one. I don't think so either. I did think it was nice that way. You can't, you can't always count on General Hammond being able to pick up the red phone and mm-hmm. always get out of trouble, right? There's just sometimes it doesn't work. But right. that, that was nice that they kind of quit that, you know, get out of jail free card this early in the uh, series. And I have to go back and see, too, if they had referred to anybody else as working for the NID or if this is or if Mayborn is like the first like actual NID because they become like a, a major like, um, you know, villainous force on the show. 
I don't know if Kennedy was or, or any of the other folks. So I'll have to, I'll have to look that up. Either. They're like the section 31 of Stargate. Yeah, they're, they're kind of slippery. This was our first UAV, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. I had, I had that circled with exclamation points and, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to see that, and I do I do love though how they give this great big like countdown to basically like launching a drone, which now it's like you know your six year old like is like and off they fly and stuff. They're like okay, ten, nine, and they go through the whole countdown. This little like flies away. You know, it's like okay, they didn't really need that big of a build up, but it's like it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So wasn't one of the problems previously with the MALPs that they could not transmit information back through the wormhole, but this thing was sending live data as far as, as far as I could tell in the episode. No, radio waves go bi-directionally through the, through the Stargate. You do have to have something kind of like keeping the Stargate open, whether that's uh, energy or sometimes even I think the radio waves themselves can Mm -hmm. keep the Stargate open or like if you like hold it open with a stick or something. Um, but yeah, radio waves are like the only things that can, that can go uh, two directions. I like that visual. Hold the start <laughs> with a stick. That's good. Uh, well, they, I think in one of the previous <laughs> like episodes, like, they did use like, they use like their, the, you know, the muzzle of their rifle or something to hold it open or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like but that. yeah. yeah. Cool. It's like the uh, equivalent of sticking something in front of your garage door. Uh, the sensor so that when it closes it just goes right back up mm-hmm. was it about how like like forward Nareem is I mean he does have game I have to like game recognize game I guess but he was laying it on very thick he was like oh we have this tradition of, of angels they're the most beautiful creatures in the galaxy and they come visit us at our death and we're so grateful to be dying just to see a beautiful person and they look just like you it was like, it was like okay like Dial it back down to like seven or eight. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I was just wanting him to start singing "Earth Angel" to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he does have the blandness for it. But, uh, yeah. Do you know what's interesting though? This isn't the. This isn't the last time. It was the first time, not the last time. Carter actually gets one of these guys that's like, "You're such an angel. You're so amazing. Like I just met you. Actually, I just saw you, and I'm in love. And not. It's not the only time this happens to her." And that never happens to Teal'c. <laughs> I think it's happened to Daniel, though, a few times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> he does. Come... That one one who, who kept putting him in the sarcophagus over and over again. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, was that not the most awkward A, kiss, and B, Daniel walking in? I liked his reaction. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so, yeah. That was good. I also like... um. When she takes him outside for the first time, he sees a bird and he's like, it's a flying animal. You're really supposed to be this advanced. Oh, look at this flying animal. Whoa, there goes another one. Did you see that? A snowflake. Did you see that? A snowflake. No, it's like you're it's like the kid in your first grade class who's excited to see a snowflake right here. Yeah. Like, well, oh, I'm in Texas. We're very oh, excited that's right. Sorry, we're, we're up here in Michigan and it's like. Yes, we know it's October. Yeah, no, big deal. Yeah, big if you're deal. still excited in April, like, let us know. Yeah. Like, he came across as very, very naive. And I feel like that was a lot of his, like, interactions with her. It was like, this is your first crush, man? Like, 
He gave her his emotion box. Come on. Yeah. So it's like a promise ring, right? It's like a mix CD. Yes. <laughs> like a, a mixtape. <laughs> From what you see of like. <laughs> He's projecting Wonderwall directly into her brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Dream Lover by Mariah Carey or something. <laughs> Oh no, it wasn't. Never. I checked that out. Uh, <laughs> but um, Sarah McLaughlin, that was it. Yes, "Sweet Surrender" by Sarah McLaughlin. That's that's what you want to beam into people's brains and um, stick into it. I think that's against the Geneva Convention. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you think it was maybe they were just trying too hard with the contrast between him and Omak? Grouchy yeah. old man, wide-eyed, not so young old man. <laughs> Yeah, from what you see of like the rest of the Tolans later on, you can cut. You can't really blame Nareen yeah. from like casting his net further than just that particular group of people. They're they're not <laughs> really warm in general. No. Yeah, no, uh-uh. lots of gray. Yeah. So they kind of set up that they're this really advanced uh, species, and we get a few hints of that, but we don't really get any sort of like context for their culture. So it's really hard to know, like, where either of them are coming from on that. All we know is they don't like humans, and they're very advanced, and they have little Simon games. Well, what do you think about their reason for not wanting to share their technology? I would I've actually kind of forgotten about that. No, Sarita, yes. Yeah, they, they, they shared some technology. The Saritans blew up their, their planet and knocked uh, Tolan out of orbit somehow. So... Were they, oh, were they upset that the people destroyed themselves or were they upset that it destroyed their own planet? Probably both, I would say. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. They're kind of what you get if you take like the prime directive and like build your whole like society around that, you know? Yeah, they did. They did kind of reference that whole idea of once they were to a certain level of development, they would make contact with them. But I mean, it is kind of. It's like that YouTube video of, like, the chimpanzee who gets a machine gun. Like, if you're a more... And starts just, like, shooting it off in the air. Like, if you're a more advanced... Uh, I haven't seen that, but that's the first thing I'm going to do once we, st- <laughs> once we stop recording. Yeah. I am 50% sure it's real and 50% sure that it was, like, a viral advertisement for one of the new Planet of the Apes movies. But I'm going to go ahead and believe it's real because okay. that's more fun. Um, okay. It seems like it'd be pretty easy to like reproduce that and find out if it was real or not, but probably not without going through a lot of chimpanzees in the process. So <laughs> I, I can see why they wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. You can knock on your door. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I honestly kind of agree with Omek's reasoning on that, especially the way that he is treated by uh, Mayborn. It's like you, you're mm-hmm. kind of just proving why he's right about this right now. Yeah, it is. It is true. Yeah. I mean, everything you can you can. What's great about this episode is that you can see, you know, Omak's justification. You can see SG-1's justification. You can even kind of to a certain extent understand, uh, you know, Colonel Mayborn, you know, like they'll be put up in the in the world's best internment camp, you know. And. Um, yeah, so, I mean, and obviously Mayborn's wrong and stuff, but. Um, it's a little while before he realizes that. Yeah, he does right. try to take Teal'c again. Yeah. yeah. There's that. Yeah. But then we had the Noxious. Oh, yeah. we didn't talk about the fact that the Tolan know the Gould. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they yes. say, what, we just don't interact with them? And so Daniel says something about their what, common enemy. Yeah. And Omak's like, they're not our enemy. <laughs> yeah. Did I say enemy? Yeah. And, and yeah, the Gould is eventually their, their undoing. But yeah. we'll get there. So it's interesting, though, that the Knox, like, like it took them that long to think about the Knox because it, it very much paralleled how the Knox's attitude was. You know, we just kind of ignore the gold. We don't. We just they exist. We exist. We hide. Right. You know, eh. on the other hand, if you're trying to impress the Knox, probably the last thing you want to do is like introduce them to the Tolan. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like you know, these two people would like, you know, you'd be really good. Like if I introduced you to that person, but I don't want to burn through my credibility with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they would really get along just based on their attitudes. Like Daniel says, the Knox are way more polite. Unless you go with like our headcanon that the, the, the Knox living on the planet are like exiled in some way because maybe they were like too hippie-ish and like the people who live on the city <laughs> are more like the Tolans. I don't know. Maybe so. And do we see more of the Knox later on? Yes. Okay. On Tolana. Yes, that's right. With the Tolan. Mm -hmm. That's the next time we see her, is uh, the next time we see the Tolan. Yeah, and it's another Measure of a Man Space Court episode. Yeah, so you have to look that time. Yeah, (laughs) you have that to look forward to. But I, th- I think the um, the scene with her was that was done very well. You know, the tension with, um, you know, the the Air Force personnel with their weapons. And then just, you know, as they turn towards the gate, the people start disappearing. The weapons disappear. They, that was mm-hmm. done. I think the effects and the, the pacing and, and all of that um, was done very well in that scene. Really played up, you know, the alienness of the Knox and, um, you know, just how light years they are uh, beyond beyond us. I really like how she just kind of summons the Stargate without touching the technology at all. Like that was a really good mm-hmm. way to show how much more advanced they were. And it stayed true to their, the whole attitude they had when we saw them earlier, mm-hmm. you know, we're pacifists. We're not getting involved. We're going to help them, but you, you know, y'all are still too young. You don't know what you're doing. And kind of like a tisk, right? Like shake your head. and Yeah. And I almost think now that I'm thinking about it, too, probably the reason we don't see more of the Knox is because the Asgard kind of fills that that role, you know, coming up in, you know, next season. And shortly after that is, is like, you know, the highly advanced alien race that will actually, you know, work with the humans. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm thinking about that. When do we see the Asgard? Um, the, oh, the, oh, the, yeah, the, the fifth race. The which... fifth race. So episode 15. Next okay. season. Nice. So we got a ways to go. Halfway. Yeah. I like the uh, the part um, at the end where obviously all of SG-1 is in on it. And it seems like everyone else in the complex is too, because the guy's like, the gate is just turning on. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and uh, Jack O'Neill is like, uh, oh no, what's going on? Like this very forced bad acting where they're just trying to be part of it. And then we, yeah, we get that air woman who, uh, you know, they disappear just like poof. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> and they walked through her. <laughs> Which, you know, is always a great effect when you see it, but we didn't we don't get to see it this time where the person's it. like, oh, and there's just like, you know, you see you have that really bad effect of someone walking through them. But uh 
It would have been nice to see that, I think, yeah. especially if it was like all 15 Tolans or 10 Tolans, you know. Oh, and that's the other thing, too, is like, how did SG-1 with a with a gate that only goes in one direction? <laughs> how did four people evacuate 10 Tolans? Because they weren't dialing be. up the gate and, and going back and forth. So did they just like there were two of them <laughs> the arms and feet and just like even just like launching them through the gate and, the you know, the candy stripers are there or whatever with the gurneys picking them up <laughs> stretchers. I don't know, but. Yeah, I was wondering that too. I I thought that maybe the stretcher bearers were going through and grabbing them, but you don't actually see that. You just see them putting them on the stretchers once they get them through. So yeah, I'm gonna go with my head cannon that they were just like launched through the gate, just chuck them through yeah. <laughs> the little ragdoll physics. But no, no, I, I yeah. I mean, obviously, I I think I like this episode uh, a lot. It was a little talky, but um, you know, I think I think it was good uh, good talky. And for once, we met a more advanced race versus, you know, most of the planets they've been through have been, you know, less advanced, right? You know, a little yeah. more like the Minoans and the less well, expensive the were more advanced, but they look less, right? So this one, it was more advanced. We don't need you. We don't want to share anything with you. We don't want to talk to you. Don't even thank you for saving us, but like, go away. Mm. So that was a nice little change. Although one example, the next example, or one of the next examples we get of the Tolan technology is we learn that those little devices that record emotions also record the wearer's health data, like their heart rate. Uh, Highly advanced, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look how far yeah. technology's come. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, and we do not see Omak again. Oh, not alive no nope. interesting no they they talk about them you know in the next two times but we uh we don't actually see them so it's huh? too busy locking people up in murder dungeons i guess <laughs> the actor is <laughs> not like the character <laughs> yeah i didn't see any hallmark on his uh no no <laughs> I think he kind of aged into that that role of like you know the the horror movie villain. If you look at it like pictures of him like now and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah he does. I don't watch horror movies, so I'm not. Yeah, I, do, I, do. <laughs> I don't either. But he looks looks very grizzled now. But yeah. uh, you know, we need more grizzled actors, in my opinion. They do add a certain like gra- like gritty gravitas to it. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, one last thing we have not talked about is who wrote this episode. Oh, yes, it was the, uh, the, the uh, favorite? Yeah, Catherine Powers. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Every episode she has written has been better than that first one. <laughs> yeah, it, it really has. The recycled one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's, Although, I think there's, there's less or fewer clunky lines in this one than I think we got in the past uh, episodes. Yeah. And she did a better job. I thought this time of kind of, bringing the thread through right of what's happened in the past and where it's going. So where before I think we kind of questioned whether or not she knew where it was going and when she wrote right. things, but this one, I think it, it, it much more uh, seamless to the rest of the series. Yeah. It seems like uh, they're probably also to the point where they kind of have their series Bible built and they know like, Here's the, how the characters are going to be, and here's how the world is. Because mm-hmm. I think Emancipation was like the third episode of the show. I think so. It yeah. depends if you count that 
uh, pilot two or one. Yeah, right. It's like third or fourth, so it was really early mm-hmm. on, and they're kind of a wide open slate at that point. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, did y'all have any other thoughts? No, I that pretty much wraps it up for me. <laughs> Right, we have some uh, feedback. Um, Minerva's Musings on Twitter says, Fabulous podcast, especially if you're looking for a thoughtful discussion of each Stargate episode done by hosts who really know the franchise and get the details right. I also love you never hear the F word used as a noun, verb, adjective, or adverb. Ever. It is wonderful. And that's that's one of the things we're trying to do is keep the show family friendly. We, we, we never say furlings. We never, <laughs> we never say furlings on the show. <laughs> that's a season two reference <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just because jack looked, looked concerned <laughs> yeah just like uh i know a lot of sci-fi franchises have like their their made-up swear words no like that <laughs> of it. this this is far more disappointing yes nice <laughs> well i look forward to, to seeing that we do, we do too. We always look forward to seeing the furling. Oh, yeah, for 10 Never. years. Yeah, nine years, yeah. Still do. <laughs> well, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Stargate, including Nancy C., Joe W., Corey P., Cheryl W., and Nathan K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash stargate. You can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. You can also join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, Solitudes. Until then, Lisa Jones, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Stargate. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack, and while your mind doesn't know, your heart fills in. (laughs) That's beautiful. It's just another way of saying we're all primitive. (laughs) <laughs> and once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Stargate on Stargate. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think?